This is Generation Swap. While the world talks about a generation gap, we talk about generational connection. Our guests, we call them swapmates, discuss goals, passions, and values, helping each other figure out life. Keep listening for more. Welcome to Generation Swap. I'm your host, Cindy Camp. Today, I'm talking with swap mates who've been paired as part of Dr. Ian Borton's interpersonal communication class. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Osher Lifelong Learning Scholar and uh, former Aquinas faculty member Gary Eberly and Aquinas student Liam O'Brien. Delighted Hello. to have you here. Thank you. Happy nice to, be to be here. So I'd like to have you both tell us about yourselves, mm-hmm. uh, a little synopsis of your life story, and if you would include your age. No problem for me. Should we go age before beauty or... <laughs> Well, you can you can start us off. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm 71 and a half on my way to 72. I um, grew up in Toledo, Ohio in a working class family. I was able to work my way through college and then graduate school. And uh, amongst a whole bunch of other stuff was uh, doing writing. I've done some professional journalism. I've written seven or eight books and... Uh, taught at Aquinas College English Literature and Humanities for 35 years and retired five years ago, whereupon I had uh, t- I needed a quadruple cardiac bypass, which almost wrecked my retirement. And uh, right now I've recovered and I feel perfectly fine. Yeah, I think you live a very full life from what I've been able to observe. So I'm um, glad to hear you came through that surgery. That's, oh, yeah. that's big, Liam. What about your story? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Liam. I'm uh, going along with him. I'm about 22 and three quarters. Uh, I'm the youngest of two. My older sister, Katie's 15 years older than me. So big age gap. Got two nephews. I'm from uh, Jackson, Michigan, originally, born and raised. That's in the kind of the southern middle part of the state. Yeah, just, just south of Lansing area. Yeah. Uh, I've been here at Aquinas for just over four years going into, I'm a super senior this year, so fifth year. I'm a political science major with uh, marketing and uh, communications minors. And you're graduating in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to be done in just a little under a month, yeah. Well, that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, your first meeting, what did you think about each other and how, where, where and when did you get together the first time? Uh, we met up at the Moose. I think I might have recognized you before you caught me. I was the one with, I had my, I had just ordered my milkshake when you were ordering your coffee. I was the oldest guy in the house, so it had to be me. <laughs> and the Moose is the campus coffee shop. Yeah. 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 First yeah. impressions? I had, uh, I had heard of you before, but I had never met you until then. Oh, Okay. Uh, I didn't know that. And my reputation's still in the air five years later. Okay. Um, I, first of all, I didn't know Liam was a senior when we met. My impression of this program was uh, I would be working with a student who had farther to go. And uh, so I was, I mean, happy for you. That was good. Nice. And especially to find out you were graduating in December. Yeah. So I knew that whatever we were going to do, we'd have to do quickly. Um, I did think, uh, honestly, as we talked about, we have some interests in, in um, politics and other things, but um, even though we're on probably different sides of the line, but um, was impressed with his background, what he's done, 
professionally already, uh, where he was in terms of getting ready to step out the door in a few weeks, uh, much farther ahead than I was when I was getting ready to graduate. Um, I was having so much fun studying, I just didn't even think about having to get a job at some point. I don't know so. if I can relate. <laughs> yeah, and Liam, tell us about some of the work that you've already done. It's unusual, I think, for someone who's just about to graduate to already have some solid work experience under your belt. Uh, yeah, other than the typical like college student get the retail summer jobs, I've had... The opportunity to work in two state representatives office and a uh, u.s congressman office briefly briefly so it sounds like very relevant work experience for yeah. you to the major yeah and yeah. i was sharing with him my son's experience who was also a student here in political science um, graduated in 2010 and uh, also was a, a fan of dr roger durham and uh, my son got a junior year fellowship in the summer at the uh, congressional office in D.C. of Carl Levin, Senator Levin, and uh, came back here, volunteered in Levin's office, so similar track to what you've done. Uh, then, after graduation, worked in a congressional campaign, helping organize that, and then uh, knocked on doors in D.C. and got a really nice job with uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow and worked there for three years. Mm -hmm. and subsequently went on to graduate school at the Harvard Kennedy School. So I think where Liam is right now opens a lot of doors that I've, and I was able to share with him how well my son went about getting those jobs and how he moved into, uh, you know, different positions after three years and, and what he's doing now. It's exciting to be at Liam's place in life with so yeah. much ahead, uh, a lot of unknowns, not to yeah. romanticize it too much. Yeah. I know it's not easy. Got to be realistic. Yeah. Well, yeah, exciting and terrifying. We also want to focus on, um, I know talking about work is obviously a big part of a college student's, um, you know, life, but Can't we want to also... Yeah, we want to think about kind of the other dimensions of life. Happiness is um, often tied to our relationships. And a lot of research has shown that one of the most important dimensions is not just relationships, but the ones that really last many years. And wondering if you can each tell us about someone in your inner circle, whether it's a family member or a friend, and what you do to keep that relationship healthy and, and alive. Gary, maybe you'd start. Well, uh, given my age, you know, I've, I've had the chance to be associated with some people 50, 60 more years, you know. Family relationships extend through your whole life. Um, like other relationships, they ebb and flow, but they're consistent. You can really watch over a lifetime how people change and how you change, um, how the relationship changes. Some relationships go on pause. You know, at the, a few years ago, I had my high school's 50th anniversary, and... Uh, I had gone to a few over those years um, and maintained contact with maybe three or four guys. At the 50th, a lot of guys came back, and there were maybe a dozen of us who did theater and music and um, were in the same classes, but except for three or four lost touch with each other. So when COVID hit, one of the guys emailed us all and said, why don't we just start doing a Zoom every other week? So we were able to pick up the relationships again and I said I'll only do it if we don't spend all night talking about nostalgia I said I've, I've had it I've moved on with my life 
from the time I was 18. And so, you know, we spend a certain amount of time talking about old Mr. So-and-so and blah, blah, blah. But then what are you doing now? Grandkids going to their football games. You know, it's um, kind of like, because as I put it, we all knew each other before we were anything. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you weren't a professor, you weren't a lawyer, you weren't the head of whatever you were doing for 50 years that you're retired from now. And so we can drop all those, um, I don't want to call them facades, but all those adult personas, you know, and just go back to being ourselves. So I thought that's been a real benefit, maybe the only one, of COVID. But that's amazing that in some cases it had been the better part of 50 years that you hadn't been in touch with some of these people and that you were able to pick yeah. that up again. I suppose a certain amount of shared history uh, and technology. Um, that was, mm-hmm. the, I think, the basis of it. And then the fact that somehow out of these 11 guys, we all ended up on the same side of the political spectrum and all involved in politics. And ah. so at one level, you know, whether it's lawn signs or active campaigning or or whatever, so we, we do spend a lot of time talking about current events, too. That's great. Yeah. Liam, a relationship in your life that's important to you? Um, on a similar vein, and I w- we were just talking about this on Monday, actually, uh, I have, it's a, it's a group of friends. Um, we were all in a church youth group uh, for almost 10 years together, and I don't end up seeing them very much. We all kind of went our separate ways for college or uh, one guy's in Indiana, other person's at Eastern, I'm here at Aquinas. And every time we meet up, uh, we talk very little about, oh, you know, the good old days and more where we all are now. But each time it's like no time has ever passed. It, we pick up just where we left off, and we cannot talk to each other for a year and a half, and we're the same people to each other. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think those are special relationships that, Very. yeah, that Very. you can just touch base so easily again. Yeah, and it's it's amazing because one of them, they our last get together, they are getting ready uh, to get married in a few months, and that was. It's a whole nother persona that I don't, th- I, once again, I don't know if that's going to carry over the same. Yeah. Is this one. first good friend getting married? Yes, yeah, my first uh, two good friends getting married, yeah. yeah. And Gary and I can probably both tell you, sometimes it does change a friendship. Not always, but sometimes friendships do change as people get married. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's two people from the same group. That's ah, the thing. Okay, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to change see. Change the dynamic, but... That's what growth is. You know, you respond to those changes somehow Mm -hmm. and uh, mature together. Yeah. If you don't, you get stuck, right? Yeah. Or we all mature in our own way, and maturity doesn't always have to fully carry over to a conversation. Yeah. Another important dimension of life is health, and I'm wondering what each of you do to keep yourselves healthy. Uh, are you saying both mentally and physically? Can, or one you or can the define other? it any way. Yeah. Um, health-wise, being a college student, exercise time is kind of cut down some. But I do make a point to uh, get out, walk around, get fresh air for at least 10, 15 minutes a day. And college has given me a great uh, opportunity to kind of play with my diet some. And over the past... Um, well, over the past four years, I've avoided the freshman 15 
and I have actually gone down in weight from uh, a weight I was not super proud of to now um, about 190 some, which was a goal weight for years. Well, congratulations, because uh-huh. often the 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 path is in the other direction. As you said, people often gain weight early on in college and it can be hard to lose it. So congratulations. So many pizzas floating around. Yeah. And the ice cream machine. (laughs) Oh, the, that was one of the good things with COVID. The ice cream machine was gone when we weren't doing anything. Yeah. (laughs) Gary, what about, uh, your experiences with staying healthy? What do you do? Well, okay. So when I was Liam's age, I was a wreck. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and other things and uh, and drinking too much. And uh, I was in the theater program and everybody smoked, everybody drank, and everybody stayed up too late. Uh, and uh, I was running myself ragged. And at the age of 25, got up one morning and my hands were shaking and I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. And I said, okay, this is not good at this age. Not sustainable. No, not at all. So... Um, so I quit smoking, hardest thing I've ever done, uh, and started a regular regular program of exercising. But the only thing I could stick with is walking. And so luckily, uh, Sue and I bought a house a mile exactly from campus. And so every day for 35 years, I walked two miles a day at least. Plus, my office was on the third floor of Home D, and then I rarely took the elevator. And uh, Even through the ice and snow? Even through the ice and snow, I have ice spikes I wear in the winter. I have than uh, me. Yeah, I have a winter winter coat, and I love cold weather, so no problem. But um, also have a terrible family history uh, with my father dying suddenly of a heart attack when he was forty five, and I was fourteen, and that's been hanging over me too. And so I've been eating well, exercising consistently. And then uh, at age 53, needed a stent for arterial blockage. Uh, At age 67, needed a quadruple bypass. So it's lifestyle plus genes. But now I I truly believe exercise is medicine. And so I still walk in two to three miles a day, every day, every day. And a real quick build on mine, one of the reasons I actually came to Aquinas, uh, something I don't always mention is uh, the Spectrum downtown is one of the top hospitals for um, those who suffer from epilepsy, which I have for over a decade now. And that being there has led to, over the course of the past about four and a half years, I have not felt this good, this clear-headed with medication changes and everything. They've helped me kind of change the way my brain works, literally. Well, that's wonderful to hear. You know, Grand Rapids has become such a medical town. Oh, and yeah. so the the expertise here, uh, practicing physicians, researchers, I'm glad to hear that that was helpful to you. Well, and that you're you're doing what you can with it. You're not in denial at all. I mean, you can't be with, no. with that disease. But uh, a lot of people simply deny that they've got a problem. Like, well, my college roommate, speaking of the old days, uh, literally drank himself to death by the time oh. he was 32. I mean, his liver collapsed. And uh, that's it's, that's it's possible, awful. but he didn't have a problem. Mm. He didn't have a problem. Wow, until it was too late. Yeah, I mean, I confronted him a couple times. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Wow. Until he wasn't. So better we deal with it. 
how do we deal with it immediately too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'd like to get you both to weigh in about career and what mm-hmm. from your perspective so gary is someone who's retired who's built a career and now kind of you know i guess in some ways doing an encore career with some some different kinds of teaching but really pretty much retired Liam, you're just about to launch into the work world. What What's important to each of you when you think about this topic? You want to start, Liam? Um, well, since my formal work career hasn't quite started yet, just even if you don't get there immediately, I think for any career, it's something that you want to be able to be happy with. I've watched my family go in and out of multiple long-term jobs that they loved that they hated and I want to at least try in the long term to find something that is sustainable that you can you can enjoy or at least find meaning in and that's really I think what can keep you sane and make you successful in the long run you sound very wise already see what I mean I mean this is no fair (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about it I had a I had a bus driving job that put me through college, and uh, then I looked up one day and said, "Holy moly! I'm graduating in two weeks. I better think about what I'm going to do next." <laughs> and so I went to the uh, career development office on campus like two years too late, and uh, a guy handed me a pack of cards from insurance companies. Said maybe they're looking for sales reps, and I thought, no, that's not going to work. So then I took the second last refuge of the desperate and tried to get into grad school. And uh, seems to have worked out for <laughs> you. <some. laughs> and then discovered I hated teaching. You hated it? I hated it. But you've done it for 35 years. School. Oh, well, okay. Hang on, there's a story. Okay. I hope, I hope it's a, it has a moral to it. But um, we were given an excellent teaching education, that is, we were taught pedagogy. But I couldn't teach the way they wanted me to teach. And by the time I reached the level where I was finishing up the PhD work, I just said, I hate this. I'm not going to do this the rest of my life. And in the interim, I had gotten a job with a small newspaper doing drama and film criticism and some limited reporting where I found out I was a terrible news reporter but a good feature writer. And I said, "Um, I'm going to give this a try. So my wife got a job. Uh, over here on the west part of the state, and I said, "Let's let's go." And I'm quitting. I'm walking away. And so then I spent three years freelance writing for magazines and newspapers and having a blast. It was fun, but I couldn't make a living at it. It's it's a wonderful way to starve. Uh, and then uh, halftime job opened up at Aquinas in tutoring in the tutoring center. And then I, I did that for a couple of years, half-time writing, half-time that. So, With your PhD? Uh, ABD. Oh, okay. Close, okay. close. All so but dissertation. Then, uh, okay. Two jobs opened up. One was editor of a magazine I'd been writing for, and the other was um, uh, administrator of the program I was working in here at the college. And I applied for both because I was 30-something, 30 32, I think, and I said, I better get a full-time job sometime in my life, right? And I had never been in a hurry to do that. And my wife supported me in the writing and all that. And we were bringing in some money. So I applied for both jobs, did not get the editor job, did get the administrator job for which my master's degree was sufficient. And then I started uh, teaching adjunct here. 
And I found my way back into teaching and found if they let me do it my way, I was pretty good at it and I enjoyed it. And so um, 35 years later, I mean, last thing I remember was my job interview. And then uh, next thing I knew, I was retiring. So, so I guess it went pretty well. I mean, there were tough days, but, you know, it was like, <laughs> there's a line, I think Nietzsche, the philosopher, said uh, about people who roll out of their own center, like a wheel rolling out of its own center. And if you're lucky, you find a way to make a living and do that. And uh, and f honestly, for me, I just it was never about money. It was time. Can I get time to write? And so I was writing and teaching and doing some administration, which I also found out I was good at. And then 35 years passed, and I'm still doing a lot of that same stuff just because I love it. Yeah, even in retirement. Tell us, you said you wrote seven or eight books mm -hmm. what what were the books what, what kind of <laughs> topics uh, well fiction nonfiction. they're all uh, over the place so my yeah. my first book i was writing for the grand rapids press and west michigan magazine so my name was out there as a writer and i got a call from a guy who had written a small book called haunted houses of grand rapids and he wanted to do a second volume but he didn't have time so he hired me as a writer and offered me a book contract and i said what the heck so i spent a summer and longer talking to people who lived in haunted houses and wrote their stories. And, about Holmdeen? Uh, I don't Holmdeen remember didn't if you make said. the cut. No, it oh. not, didn't make the cut because at that the point I was writing the book, I, I wasn't working here yet. Ah. And uh, later found out the building my office was in was, according to the students anyway, haunted. Well, I tried a haunted house. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good. They do a good job. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a perfect setting. Well, then I got here in academia, and I wanted to write a novel. So I started that, and then I was teaching a course that I couldn't find an adequate textbook for, which, so for the background for the course. So I said, well, heck, I'll just write one. So I did, and we used it for a couple semesters. You do love textbook. to write. I do. Because I think for most people, that would seem impossible. But, no, yeah. you just did you know, one page after another, one word after another, until it's done. And so then I wrote uh, a book on the history of Aquinas College for the 125th anniversary of the college, and then uh, a biography of Sister Aquinas Weber for her 90th birthday. And now next month I'll be interviewing her as she approaches her 100th birthday. Wow. And uh, her. yeah, we thought <laughs> you know, 90, we better get his story down. She's 90, not knowing there would be another chapter. She's going strong. What a role model. I don't know yeah. if I've met her. I should make a point of that. Yeah. 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 You can come when Gary's doing the interview. Yeah, December 15th across the street here. Um, so one thing flows to another, you know, and, and you watch when doors open and you go through them. And that seems like great advice for all of us, especially oh, yeah. for Liam as he is, uh, you know, winding down his college career and about to, to jump into his uh, job life. I'd like to have you both comment on the value, the importance of intergenerational relationships. Uh, Liam, you're in a class on interpersonal communication, but this is kind of, I think, a, a topic that you talk about in that class. And it certainly is something that we've built this SWATmate relationship around, hoping that people who are retired and college students can come together and get to know each other and learn some things. What are your thoughts about intergenerational relationships? I think they have 
a little bit more value than just like the initial connotation in your brain would say because it's a perspective that you won't get from just somebody you meet in class or not even necessarily a professor because not all professors are of the same age same generation same level of experience and I know you have a hell of a lot more than I do on a lot of things. <laughs> well, I, yeah, but, you know, 50 years makes a difference. You know, you're, 50 years from now, you're going to look back. I think the worst thing we can do as old people is sit here and talk at young people. And that's what I found in all my years of teaching was there's a line. There has to be a line between teacher and student. But I remember... Uh, I've, I've always been, I don't know, I don't like titles because you put people in a box with a title and some people hide behind the title. I'm doctor so-and-so. So I said to my students, we used to have a lot more adult students, people 30 and up. I'm noticing an uptick in that in some of my classes. Good. Several of my classmates are notably older than I am or just yeah. even... Just returning students. Yeah, and uh, but I've taken for granted uh, having young people around, and now that I'm retired, it's I'm tired. Of, who are all these old people? She's <laughs> all we talk about is artificial hips, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh boy. So one of the reasons I got into this was uh, I can talk to someone. Not that you you are every one of your generation, but someone who's not a student. So we don't have that. Wall. Not your student. Not my I guess student. Liam is a student, but not yeah, your not student. student. Yeah. So we just meet as two individuals. Yeah. Man, yeah. I remember one night speaking of more adult students here. So we had not a lot of night classes here on a program called Encore. So women who had put off uh, going to college or never started when they were 18 or 20 and got married and raised kids were coming back to college. And it was a great niche market for Aquinas. So in a typical class, I might have 30 students in a poetry class, and um, 15 or 20 would be traditional age, and 15, uh, 10 or so would be uh, 35 plus. So we're reading a poem in Victorian lit called Mo from a series called Modern Love by a guy named George Meredith, who in a series of sonnets, which are usually love poems, chronicled the death of his marriage. And he writes this. It's just excruciating to read. But he said, you know, the, I, can't, I can't quote all the lines, but he wakes up in the middle of the night and he hears his wife stifle a sob. And she now knows that he's awake listening to her cry in the dark. But they don't say anything. And so instead he says, we lay there like two statues on a catafalque, reading on the blank wall the years of our regrets. And the student in the back, you know, each, I don't understand that. So I look over here, and there's a woman crying. It's like 35. I said, you okay? She said, yeah, that's what it was like. Oh. And I said, you two talk. Beautiful. That's what it is, intergenerational, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. she was there. That's a vivid example. Mm -hmm. Thank Very you. Good example. Well, and that was the idea with calling this project Generation Swap. We, you know, the generation gap is widely acknowledged that we've got this, you know, big K 
chasm between generations. But our hope was that we could bring people together and create relationships that would be dynamic and, and mutually beneficial. And as you said, Gary, it's not about a top-down sort of mentor, you know, helping this student. It's really something that we hope you both enjoy and can learn from each other. Um, so I'm delighted that you have gotten to know each other. Do you have any closing thoughts for us? I'm really glad I participated in this. I was really kind of hesitant when I first read it on Dr. Borton's list. I was feeling very antisocial at that moment. But I am very, very glad that I decided to just apply. Yeah, and I'm glad you did, and I'm glad I did. I, I put it off for a year or two because I said, man, 35 years is what I did, yeah. And so, but then I thought, well, I, I really am getting tired of talking about artificial hips. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's cross the line here and just talk without any expectations. And it's been good for me too. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I want to thank both of you, uh, Gary Everly and Liam O'Brien, for joining us here today. Absolutely. And also to Dr. Ian Borton for partnering with us. Generation Swap is a production of the Aquinas College Advantage Center. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts or at generationswap.com. Our career and connections expert is Dr. Dana Hebriard. Our producer is John Griffin, and our social media coordinator is Alexandra Stevenson. I'm Cindy Camp, Generation Swap creator. Thank you for spending time with us today. We're looking forward to swapping stories with you again soon. 